The queen in green celebrates her platinum jubilee, 70 years on the throne, and there's so much to discuss. Is a prosthetic nose anti-Semitic? My take on the debate, and they're going extinct. No, it's not the Palestinians, unfortunately. But we have all the interesting news from the land of Israel, because here I am in the land of Israel, your host of the Weekly Squeeze. This is Hanala back for episode 17. Wow. It's going to be a great show. Let's get to it. Starting off with the Queen of England and her adorable grandchildren. Can we just discuss how cute the Queen's grandchildren are? They're her great-grandchildren, actually. But boy, did they steal the show. I mean, the pressure. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, this is the royal family. They have nannies and servants and maids and everything is custom tailored and pressed and they literally have people dressing them but think about it for a second you have to bring your three immaculate children under the age of 10 out for the world to scrutinize and make sure that they're on their best behavior was it perfect no but that's what makes it so real and for the first time I think people around the world were able to relate to the royal family watching Princess Kate with her son making faces. I think at some point he put his hand over her mouth to shush her. Now, we all have experiences with our four-year-old that makes us want to dig a hole and disappear into that hole. Well, Princess Kate, she has people who can dig that hole for her. (laughs) That's how rich she is. And there were those moments. Well, I guess she also struggles with her kids, her children who've probably never seen the inside of a grocery store or been denied anything ever. But still, it was charming, it was cute, it was realistic, and probably one of the only relatable things if you've ever taken your kids to show. (laughs) But here she was celebrating the queen, 70 years as ruler of the United Kingdom and the 15 countries in the Commonwealth realm crazy. I I personally am fascinated by the fascinators, which is probably why they're called fascinators, because how do they stay on? And you have to be a certain type to wear that kind of hat. I was actually at the Kotel for a bar mitzvah last week, and there was a family celebrating, and their son was reading from the Torah, and one of the women were wearing one of those sideways hats that you just have to be a certain type to wear, or else it just looks like you're wearing a plastic plate stuck on your head. (laughs) But Princess Kate looks so stunning. She's wearing a gorgeous white suit and beautiful sapphire earrings that once belonged to her mother-in-law, Princess Diana. Everything is modest and perfectly tailored. Oh, and she's so thin. She's so stunning. I'm a little obsessed. I just love how modest and refined she is. It's just so refreshing. One of my kids asked me on Shabbos, how come I can't get a second piercing in my ear? So after I got up from the floor, even though I knew this day would come, I said, you know why? Because Princess Kate, look at Princess Kate. She's so elegant and so classy. Does she have two holes in her ears? No, she does not. That's right. Why? Because it's classy. It's just classy to be refined and simple and not need to make extra holes in your body more than what's, you know, just regular. Just be beautiful. She doesn't have highlights and she's not wearing Meshuggah's shoes and everything is just elegant and refined and the colors are perfect. This is just, 
This is what it's about. When we tell our children, this is a perfect example of a princess. Obviously, she's not a Jewish princess, but she is a princess who holds herself regally and dresses appropriately for the part. And the whole world, secular, leftists, liberals, everybody was impressed by how beautiful and elegant she was. Now, let's just talk about this little blue sailor suit that Prince Louis, fifth to the throne, is wearing. I, I've i seen this before because my brother had it. And in the 80s, this is what we wore. I mean, this is such an elegant, classy look. Mind you, it's not super popular anymore, but so much nicer than the skinny jeans and the tight t-shirts. This is just a little boy for a short pocket of time in his life able to wear a little elegant pressed sailor suit. Mind you, it was his father's and probably his grandfather's as well, kept perfectly pressed in some temperature-controlled cellar in the castle. So when they took it out, it didn't have the yellow stains that were not on it when you packed it to put it away for your next kid. But still, so cute. I don't know how we became a nation of schleppers, but seeing the princess and seeing the royal family in their lace Italian socks and their patent leather shoes and their beautiful classy clothing just reminded me what we once were and what we have become. We are a nation of croc-wearing, tie-dye t-shirt donning slobs. We are a nation of people who fly in our pajamas. We wear cargo pants, not because we're active, but because it has a lot of pockets. You know, the next time your daughter says, but nobody wears pantyhose. Yes, Princess Kate is wearing pantyhose. I actually saw her in the pantyhose store online with me, okay? Princess Kate does not go with bare feet. Not because of tenuous reasons, just because classy women wear pantyhose when they're dressed up at a wedding or in public in front of a lot of people. Just the bare feet. Save it for the beach, girl. Save it for the beach, I also love the green that the queen's wearing. I love that she wears one color. She's like so consistent in that way. My mother-in-law also, we always laugh that she looks like the queen of England when she wears her suits, her outfits with the matching bag, with the matching jewelry, with the matching sweater. It's all purple. It's all blue. It's all green. Everything exactly like the queen of England. Literally exactly like the queen of England, except that one of them has jewelry that's priceless and another one has jewelry that's worthless. (laughs) Well, it's not worthless, but you know. My mother-in-law can afford a dowry or two with her Bukharian jewels, but it's not the queen's jewels. But the queen could do whatever she wants as long as she doesn't have any sovereignty here in the land of Israel. I've been reading the history of Jerusalem over the last few days. And yeah, the British. Did you know that the British also had control over Israel for a short amount of time? Until they realized, we can't help these people. (laughs) We're just going to leave the Jews and the Arabs and let them hash it out by themselves, which we've been doing happily ever after. But Bezrat Hashem, we will soon have our own kingdom, our own monarchy, and Mashiach ben David will once again reign over Israel, Yerushalayim, and the Jewish people, and we too will have fancy parties and jubilees and hakel, and we will wear beautiful linen and lace clothing, and our daughters will be royal princesses of the Jewish nation. Say amen. Hala. It's the queen sitting here and I don't stop. All right. The Weekly Squeeze has been brought to you by dailygiving.org slash concert. Go right now. Click on the link in the show notes and register for free for a massive concert that's taking place next Sunday, 
June 12th at 8 p.m. This concert is so gorgeous. I would advise that you get dressed up in your finest evening wear to watch the show because you are going to feel very inadequate if you are in your pajamas watching such beauty transpire on the stage thanks to Chaya Kogan, Devorah Schwartz, myself, Jamie Geller, and the incredible team of Almighty Productions in collaboration with Daily Giving that is bringing us the show of the decade. So check that out, dailygiving.org, the only virtual tzedakah box you'll ever need. Diversify your charity. That's what it's all about. Instead of giving to one organization and then to that organization, but not to that organization, and maybe this organization, give to Daily Giving, and they will take care of the rest for you. Charity is so much better when it's collaborative. Everybody's dollars together get put into a giant tzedakah box sent off to the most needy charities and we are all part of this amazing mitzvah so sunday june 12 8 p.m see you there well what is going on in the land of israel let's see it is cherry season so that's fun but you do need to know when you go pick fruits if you are allowed to eat them or not it's not so push it you have to know if the cherries were grown through heter mechira uh, what the deal is as far as the Heksher goes. So just be aware when you are experiencing Israel here. We are smack in middle of Shemitah and you have to know what you are doing before you just pop two sweet cherries into your mouth. If this is all too complicated, just go to the Shuk and get those gummy cherries. They will pull your molars right out, but you won't have to worry about Shemitah. Just the dentist. Okay, so much to get to, but first let's talk about Jewish noses. Why is the Jewish nose once again in the press? And I say once again because once upon a time, the entire concept of having a big nose was an entirely anti-Semitic stereotype. Now, many of you have seen the caricature of a Hasidic Jew who's, you know, grinning and his hands are folded together with this sinister smile and his nose is massive and his back is hunched. This was the anti-Semitic Nazi propaganda that was shared all over Germany and different European countries to suggest that the Jews are sinister and evil and Satan's spawn and that having a big hook nose is part of what makes them so evil. Maybe they keep their evilness in their nose or their money in their nose. But in any case, I'm sure you've seen this picture of the happy merchant. And the idea of it was to spread hatred and distrust of the Jews by making them caricatures with grotesque features to make Jews seem repulsive and, you know, make them look like they're all about money and power and conspiracy and and blood. So you can't find a piece of propaganda from that time that doesn't have a Jew with a massive hook nose or even horns. Now, as Nazi propagandist Julius Streicher, who hopefully you've never heard about, wrote in his children's book, Der Gift Bills, which translates to the poisonous mushroom, he writes, One can easily tell a Jew by his nose. The Jewish nose is bent at its point. It looks like a number six. We call it the Jewish six. Many Gentiles also have bent noses, but their noses bend upwards, not downwards. Such a nose is a hook nose or an eagle nose. It's not at all like a Jewish nose. Now, the Nazis were not the first people to create the myth of the Jewish nose. After World War II, there was a Hollywood adaptation, an old black and white movie, Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist. And one of the actors had very heavy makeup and a large prosthetic nose. 
to, you know, to portray the leader of the London-based pickpocket group, who I suppose was a evil Jew. The film caused much controversy, and many people complained that Guinness's, that's the actor, his portrayal perpetuated the same anti-Semitic Jewish stereotypes pushed by the Nazis. Well, the Jewish nose is still here, but I'm a little torn about this because I'm really on the fence even about blackface. So when somebody dresses up and paints their face black to look like a black person, let's say they want to be, you know, LeBron James for, for Purim, so they paint their face black. That's, to me, not racist. The issue is that blackface was more racist back in the day when people were more racists, when it was used in a sinister way to mock black people and to make them look ludicrous on on posters and packaging and, you know, just to suggest that there were bizarre-looking people with very black skin and massive lips, and it became a blatantly racist caricature of regular black people that were just born that way, which is fine. It's okay to have a black face. It's okay to have a big nose. It's okay to have slanted eyes. Hashem made us all different with unique qualities that are distinctly human. You know, all giraffes and all zebras pretty much look the same. Try to identify one from the other in the jungle. Good luck with that. But human beings were distinct. You can tell based on a person's skin color, on the size of their eyebrows, on on the color of their hair, where they're from, where they grew up, what their origin is, what their nationality is. And that is a beautiful thing. The problem is when one people use it as a racist uh, caricature to clump people together and infer from that that they're evil, that their physical facial components or what makes them a person physically suggests that who they are internally. So Jews have big noses. You know, Barbara Streisand has a huge nose and she's super rich and successful. As a matter of fact, from what I remember, they wanted her to have her nose done. There there was a time in the the 60s and 70s where everybody was getting their noses done and and she was like, why would I cut off this bump? I I love my nose. This is my nose. Besides the fact that it would probably uh, affect her singing, which would be absolutely problematic considering she was a singer that sang with her nose. So if Jews have big noses, which by the way is not 100% accurate because from what I read on the internet, in 1911, physical anthropologist Maurice Fishberg, a Jew, measured 4,000 noses of Jews in New York. His study revealed that most of those he measured were actually unremarkable, okay? I never measured another Jew's nose, but I'm going to take his word for it, a study that was done 110 years ago. Maybe our noses have grown since then, but not enough because there is another... Smelly controversy. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Um, Over an actor, a rather handsome actor, who is wearing a prosthetic nose in a new Hollywood film. And maybe people have nothing to do, but apparently there is an issue with Bradley Cooper, a rather handsome actor, looking nothing like himself, disguised as Leonard Bernstein with a prosthetic nose. And of course, all the liberals and all the fanatics and all the Mishigayim start complaining because how can he have a Jew face? Why? Why at a time when representation matters, says comedian Sarah Silverman, who never ever once spoke up against the Palestinians, by the way, but her, but, but the nose, the nose. Now that's anti-Semitic. If a Hollywood actor is playing a Jew, he could look like a Jew. That's okay. That's the point. That is the point of Hollywood. If a black man is playing a white man, then the story's not accurate or it's not being portrayed realistically. I don't know what the drama is about. Hollywood is supposed to be 
magic. It's supposed to be not real. That is literally the point of it. So if you have a problem with Bradley Cooper's prosthetic nose, then I just think you should keep your nose out of this business. That's right. And Sarah Silverman, if you have a problem with the way Jews are being depicted in media, maybe you should refine the way you speak. Because you single-handedly have brought the entire reputation of the Jewish people down a notch or two thanks to your profane, absurd, and perverse comedy routines. You know what they say, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That's right. See, that's a funny joke about noses that's not perverted, something you can try, Sarah. Okay, moving along from noses to arms, the army, (laughs) the IDF. All right, that's a transition. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. The IDF is having a issue. Now, I know that many of you don't know or understand the IDF mentality for the most part. And honestly, I didn't either. Before I moved here, I knew there was an Israeli army. I knew there was a conflict of interest when it comes to Yeshiva Bahrim and you know, Hasidic Jews and, and, and from Jews and women joining the army and the army being a very secular environment. But when you live here, you are definitely front and forward with the actual um, back and forth conversations and debates that take place regarding who should enroll in the army, how long they should be in the army, and what everyone's opinion is on this issue. So here we go. My opinion Now, I learned everything I need to know about the Israeli army from, yes, a reality show that I watched on YouTube about two years ago called Yechida Meurevet. And Yechida Meurevet was about a army unit that had women and men, girls and boys, mixed. So the unit was Kavi. That means that they were fighters. They're the the hardcore soldiers, the ones that have to run laps and climb on their elbows and be in the sun for a thousand hours and carry massive heavy backpacks and, and guns and be out there fighting our enemies, protecting our land at the borders, in the tanks, with the weapons. These are not office jobs. So the whole concept of the reality show was whether the girls and boys can be in the same unit and fight and work hand in hand, whether it means carrying a comrade on their backs, whether it means managing in the boiling heat for 20 hours or the freezing nights in the desert in their tents. Um, And, you know, each soldier had to prove themselves whether they were a girl or a boy. Now, what I took from the show, because they obviously showed all the drama and all the conversations that were happening behind the scenes, was that there's obviously going to be drama when you put girls and boys together. That's just the bottom line. There's this natural inborn chemistry between men and women, and that doesn't disappear whether you're dehydrated in the desert or at a bonfire or running laps or or, or wearing a uniform. So personally, I think that having men and women working side by side, it, it might work for the German girl that her parents immigrated from from Germany and she was the size of a, of a camel herself. But besides for her, it was just drama. And it was girls that were having meltdowns and their comrades having to schlep them out because they just couldn't manage to the extent that the men could. And the men, being men, couldn't abandon them because what kind of man abandons a woman who's having a meltdown in the middle of the desert? 
I mean, to me, it seemed like the whole experiment was a fail. I actually went to Hebron during that time when we were watching this this reality show. And <laughs> we come to Hebron and we drove. We didn't take buses. And we were being led to the parking lot where we were supposed to park before we walked up to Marissa Machbela. And one of the soldiers from the show was in charge of parking i was like hello you're kavi you're you're supposed to be like this macho superhero i mean that's how he's portrayed in the show and you're in charge of parking <laughs> obviously it's chevron and it's dangerous and he was wearing his gun but i was like oh my gosh and i took a selfie with him and that was my celebrity moment here with some 18 year old reality show soldier so what do I think about women in the army? Well, I'm very traditional when it comes to that. I don't want women to be in the army. I don't think women should be in the army. Fighting is a man's job. Now, if there are women who want to be in the army, and there are, there are plenty of opportunities for them. There are plenty of skills that are needed and put into use every day here in this country. And women soldiers are valued and appreciated and respected and encouraged. Obviously, you can do Sherut Lumi, which is basically committing to your country for two years to volunteer and to work on, you know, different individual projects that might not be exactly in the army institution, but still help the country and contribute in some way. Women and men working side by side is always challenging, much more so in the army. So why am I having this conversation with myself and with you? Because there is once again a conversation happening in Israel where the leading rabbis of the religious Zionist movement came together and wrote a letter to the Israeli army requesting that less women are included in the combat units because they are encouraging from Orthodox observant young men to join these combat groups. And when they are mixed genders and there's religious soldiers who are working side by side with women, it's problematic. But the army, unfortunately, feels that women are entitled to do whatever they want if they want to do it. And there is no reason that they shouldn't be in combat. And so long as a woman meets the qualifications and, you know, meets the standards for a particular unit, she can serve as she pleases. Now, this is not reflective of the IDF in and of themselves. This is just our times. This is the generation that we live in where women, unfortunately, are not built up and valued for the things that make them intrinsically feminine. So very often they seek or they're even encouraged to take on roles that are not cohesive with their gender, let's say. You can argue that there are women who are more masculine and like to work out and are aggressive and are athletes. No problem. But fighting is not, you know, boys get into fistfights more than girls for a reason, because boys have testosterone, testosterone, and they are more aggressive. And that's how it should be, because men are supposed to take care of women and work harder and make parnasa and be more aggressive. And women are supposed to be more gentle. Now, again, there's no rule but some things are just in our DNA. So when we have things in our DNA, we mold our society and our world to fit that structure. Now, before the feminists come at me, Golda Meir was one of the most powerful women in Israel's history, and she was the only one who was capable of fundraising the 50 plus million dollars that Israel needed to fight in 1947 against the Palestinians. And had she not raised that money, Israel would not have had the weapons that they needed. So when the men went to America and the Americans said, sorry, we have to fund American institutions. We don't have money to support the, the creation of Palestine right now. Or we're, we're all out of funds. 
you know, it was Golda Meir. It was a woman who was able to go from city to city and plead and speak compassion. Oh, well, she was no great beauty. It was just she had the capacity to do something that the men couldn't do. So women and men have different roles, and everyone should embrace the roles that are most suitable for their nature, for their characteristics, for the intrinsic way that Hashem made us. And I believe when we do that, we will be the most successful, whether we're fighting in the front lines or working at an office or jumping out of an airplane. It doesn't matter. But every single person has to be honest with themselves and ask themselves, am I doing this because I have something to prove? Now, if the answer is yes, then, you know, think about it. And if the answer is no, by all means, jump out of an airplane. Unless you're my kid. If you're my daughter, then you just stay at home and don't even think about jumping out of airplanes or doing anything that puts your life in danger. Baruch Hashem, we have very handsome, manly men that can do that for us so we can raise the next generation of soldiers who hopefully will never have to fight. Now, if you have kids who sometimes act like animals, well, I have some good news for you. They could be on Britain's Got Talent because there is a semi-finalist. Her name is Jessica Broden. She is Jewish. She's eight years old. She lives in England, and she's been an animal lover her whole life. And she does the most adorable impressions of dolphins, dogs, cats, and tigers. And she was so awesome that she soared to the top. Her mother said she's already a winner in my eyes. But you know what? We might have an eight-year-old Jewish winner of Britain's Got Talent. So never fear. If you have a child moaning and groaning and wailing on the floor like an overgrown sea lion, well, <laughs> you could be rich from that kid. So don't despair. Do not despair. This is 2022. If you have a kid acting like an animal, that's a good thing. Speaking of animals, an Israel study shows that 2,000 species of Palestinians, I mean of reptiles, are threatened. Now, if you've ever been to Beit Shemesh, there is an incredible museum called the Tanahi Museum, which I always recommend. They have one of the most amazing exhibits, including real-life animals, all the different species that were connected or mentioned in the Tanakh. You learn so much about biblical animals. You can you can eat a kosher grasshopper there. It's really a, a special museum, one of a kind. And if you go there, you will learn so much and get to hold one of those massive snakes and, and crocodiles and lizards, and it's really hands-on and interesting. Anyways, Israel has snakes and lizards and all kinds of reptiles, but apparently they are being threatened by all the construction and deforestation. Well, perhaps if the Palestinians would stop burning down our forests, which by the way affects an enormous amount of wildlife, if you're listening and you represent PETA or you care more about dogs than Jews, the, the fires are an issue for all wildlife, for all animals for all creatures and for the Jews by the way just a side point but it is something that should be taken into consideration if you care about breathing things at all but in any case when you come to Israel be mindful there are snakes and for those of you who are always asking me can I can, can I hire you to be a tour guide no you can't because you have to be a qualified tour guide in this country it's the Middle East there's things that you have to know you have to be able to identify a poisonous snake from a not poisonous snake you have to know what a scorpion looks like when it's crawling up your leg and you have to be capable of dealing with some of the challenges that come with touring the vast terrains of the land of Israel. And by vast, I mean just everyone ends up on hikes that are eight hours. Israel's tiny, but all the hikes are 20 hours. 
This episode has been brought to you by Daily Giving. This is just a reminder to go down into the note links right now and register for the concert on Sunday, June 12th at 8 p.m. See you there. Okay, what else is interesting in the news? So everybody's been talking about LeBron James because he is hanging out with Kabbalist Rabbi Pinto. And yeah, people are fascinated because whenever a Los Angeles Lakers star is seen with an old man wearing a white headdressing at a Jewish wedding, you know, you start to wonder. And usually there is a connection that has to do with more than the Zohar. As it turns out, Rabbi Pinto is one of the richest rabbis in Israel. Now, I don't usually talk about rabbis because I don't know enough about every rabbi. And, you know, everybody has different opinions what makes one rabbi more influential than the next. But my family had some personal experience with Rabbi Pinto. And all I'm going to say about this is that whenever a rabbi becomes extremely rich and spends a lot of time with celebrities, it's curious. That's all I'm going to say. Now for a cup of fresh seltzer, or should we say Olivia Seltzer. Olivia Seltzer is an 18-year-old Jewish girl from Santa Barbara, and she set out to make news more digestible for tweens and teens with the creation of the Cram with a double M. According to Seltzer, who will be a first-year student at Harvard in the fall, she has a digital platform that reaches 2.5 million monthly readers with followers in 113 countries who look to the Cram's newsletter, which is delivered via email or text every weekday, for everything on politics, global events, and more. Hey, Olivia, can you tell your 2.5 million monthly readers that the Weekly Squeeze is a great form of entertainment slash news for Jewish teenagers around the world? I'm just saying, if we're already having this conversation and I'm mentioning you and you mentioned me, you know, that whole thing. Anyways, it's very impressive. Olivia wakes up at 5 o'clock in the morning. She works on the cram before school. She crams it in before school. And she is finding so much success that she even created a book. She published a book called Cram This Book So You Know What Is Going On in the World Today. Now, considering our teenagers take in the news uh, from TikTok and Instagram and WhatsApp statuses, I think it's fantastic that there is a new source called The Cram that is perfect for teens and preteens. It's described as a tongue-in-cheek way to start your morning with laughter, knowledge, and a cup of cram. I like this. Olivia, kolakavod. You should go from strength to strength. <clears throat> the Weekly Squeeze podcast. Have your people call my people. It's the queen, y'all. Bob Dylan is back in the news. It's unbelievable to me because we are at a point in Jewish music where music is basically free. So even if you buy music on iTunes, what are you paying, 99 cents a song, once in a blue moon, everybody else is listening to it on either YouTube for free or on Spotify for free or on Apple Music for $10 a month. But music is basically free. That's why this is so crazy because Bob Dylan is charging one billion, I'm sorry, not that that would be crazy, but one million pounds for a recording of his most famous song, Blowing in the Wind. The answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind. The money is blowing in the wind. How this is relevant to anyone in real life, I don't know. But I will tell you that I recently recorded a Russian version of Kharasha, Kharasha, for a shlucha who lives in Russia. And that was a paid job. Did I get paid a million dollars? No. I got paid a respectable six rubles <laughs> but the point is that you know we're still struggling artists so however you could support us 
on Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and all that stuff. Well, it's always nice. We won't be as rich as Bob Dylan, but so long as we have a place in Gan Eden, we will take it. Now, I'm not sure which magazine I read it in on Chabas. Yes, we do get the Jewish magazines, even though it drives me crazy that there are no pictures of women in it. But my kids do like the articles, and I do support the magazine's content. I just wish there would be pictures of women in it. I am holding out for that. I'm not going to boycott the magazines, but I do think there should be. Okay, so I was reading through the magazines, and I saw an article about a homework hotline where boys can call up a rabbi that's on call and asks their homework questions. This is great for boys whose fathers are not home. I'm not sure the number. I'm not sure the details. You're going to have to look it up or get a magazine. But the point is that here in Israel, 21 Jewish women will be paid to be advisors on Jewish law in the Orthodox community. Matan Kahana, the deputy religious service minister, said in a release on Thursday that he will hire women for communities across Israel. These women will be advisors on halacha and Jewish law so that people can call in with their questions and get the answers that they need on the spot. Now, this is a beautiful thing, and I'm just going to share a personal story that took place when I went to a family bar mitzvah at the Kaisel last week. Now, as some of you know, my aunt and uncle... May their memory be a blessing. They passed away in the Surfside building collapse last year. Their yard site is quickly approaching. And their children were here in Eretz Yisrael last week where they had a CMC for Tyra that they had written in honor of their parents. And they came to the Kaisal with one of the son's bar mitzvah boys to lane from the Tyra and celebrate the bar mitzvah with all the siblings together. Now, when we came to the Kaisal, we discovered that you are not allowed to bring a safer Tyra into the Kaisal area at all. So here, the father of the bar mitzvah boy is holding a safer Tyra that was just completed in honor of his parents' yard site a year ago, and security is not letting him bring the Tyra to the wall. Now, why wouldn't you be allowed to bring a Tyra to the Kaisal? It, it sounds absurd. Well, the reason that you can't, and this we found out after we spoke to the rabbi of the Kaisal, Rabbi Shmuel Abramowitz, his name is, he made it very clear that the rule is the rule and he's not bending it. But because of the reform women of the wall and this Mishagas, where they are determined to lane from the Tyra at the Western Wall, simple solution, no Tyras at the wall. Absolutely no Tyras are allowed to be brought in besides the Kaisal's Sefer Tyra, which remain at the wall consistently. And this way, no one will give a Sefer Tyra to the women of the wall that they could lean from. So because of the Farshtunkina women of the wall, my cousins couldn't lean from a Sefer Tyra written in their parents' name. So thanks for nothing, women of the wall. Shame on you. This is a perfect example of... Isha bona, Isha horeset. Women build and women destroy. So kol to Israel for supporting women who build and not women who destroy. Now let's talk about social media, my favorite thing in the world. I don't care if the Jewish magazines don't like it. Until you give everybody free advertising, don't bash social media. This is what we have, and we're going to use it the best way possible. So here we have a cute little clip of Shlomi Dax singing at Farbringen. In 770, even though he's not a Lubavitcher, he's part of a choir wearing red vests and big 80s glasses. And he's singing one of my favorite Lubavitch songs, Wake Up Yidin. And this is absolutely the cutest thing. Thanks for sharing, Shlemy Dax. Now, what else is going on in the world? Let's see, Mayor Kay is in Israel. And I know this because whenever Mayor Kay is anywhere, 
We know about it because everything he does is just full of bravado and excitement. So, hi, Mayor Kay. Maybe we'll bump into you at some point eating ice cream on Ben Yehuda. If you are listening in Paris, Yakov Shweki, your favorite Sephardi singer, will be in your neck of the woods next week. So that's cool, Yakov Shweki in Paris. Lipa Schmelzer has a new music video out. I'm not a huge Lipa Schmelzer fan. I like him as a person. I don't love his music. I don't love his style. But this is a beautiful video. So check that out if you are into the Schmelz. But whatever you are into, make sure that you subscribe to the Weekly Squeeze podcast because that, my friends, is going to keep you in the know. Like, share, drop a link into a family WhatsApp group and let the world know that the Weekly Squeeze is where it's at. We will see you next week.